This episode is a recorded presentation from our TraderLine conference. I'm your host, Richard Moklin. This episode is brought to you by TraderLine University, where thousands of students learn from U.S. investing champions, veteran traders, and market legends to level up their trading. Click the link in the description for an exclusive offer. This podcast is also sponsored by Interactive Brokers. At Interactive Brokers, you can trade the global markets with sophisticated and effective order execution. To learn more, click the link below. And with that said, sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to our last presentation of today. We thought we'd close out strong with Joe Fami, who is the managing director over at Zor Capital and the market comedian as well. Uh, Joe, always a pleasure talking markets with you. So welcome. Thanks for having me, uh, Richard. And uh, a, a huge thanks again to your team for, uh, you know, Ray, Ross and, and Nick and everybody. You guys just uh, add so much value to the community and the speakers before have been amazing and tomorrow and next weekend. So uh, kudos to you guys for putting together an amazing conference. Thank you. And we, we couldn't do it without you guys. So, it, you know, I've got the easy job. I was telling Anne-Marie, I just got to ask the questions, but you guys have to present and, and be in the hot seat. So so thank you. Yeah. Just uh, reminding people to keep their expectations low. That way they can only surprise them. So <laughs> Perfect. Well, let's get right into it. All right. Let me share my screen with, um, I'm actually going to do two presentations. Uh, let me just make sure everything's all good. Okay. So the main presentation is going to be four ways to improve your trading. And I'm also going to do a mini presentation after this on the Fed and current markets. So let's start with four ways to improve your trading. As always, all this information, as I know, every as you have already uh, mentioned, is for educational informational purposes. So uh, the uh, before I get into that, I want to talk about how to trade cryptocurrencies like Charlie Munger. It's a topic not too many people talk about, and uh, I think it's very important. I'm kidding. I'm just trying to get a cheap laugh out of everybody. So I'm going to give you an outline where I'm going to do a quick introduction, talk about four ways to improve your trading. Number one is make sure the market direction is uh, in your favor. Number two, when the market is strong, to make sure you're hopefully in some of the stronger fundamental uh, stocks and then also entry point is very important so we're going to touch a little bit on technicals and the fourth one is mental toughness because i think uh no matter how great your strategy is 80 90 percent of trading is your mental strength and mental toughness and i think it's imp an important thing to discuss so just a quick introduction as you mentioned i'm a portfolio manager at zor capital it's a new york-based investment advisory firm i've been doing this 25 years and uh, I also run a blog at joefami.com where, where I also have an educational product. If I've, anyone wants to reach out, you can just go to the website and reach out to me that way. Um, so four ways to improve your trading. The first one is it would kind of be nice to expose capital if the market is in your direction. I think that makes common sense. Clearly this year we've been in an ugly downtrend. We've been below key moving averages. And if you uh, reduced your exposure or had less capital exposed to the market, you would have survived so far this year. So I personally have four signs of a healthy market, but I want to share one of them uh, with with the viewers. And and by the way, I can't say this enough. I'm uh, for the people tuning in live or even if you watch this on a recording, 
uh, I'm beyond grateful for for the people tuning in because one success one characteristic of successful people is their desire to improve themselves. So by you guys tuning in, you're instantly showing that you want to improve yourselves, and I have tremendous respect for that. And I'm going to try to give you my best, and I know we're going to open this up for questions as well. But uh, the first thing, if so, if you literally don't remember anything from anything I say, I just want you to remember one thing: plot the 50-day moving average on the Nasdaq. If you want to use the S&P, that's fine on any individual stock. And just remember, if we're above it, for the most part, the market is healthy or the stock is healthy. If we're below it, probably a sign to get defensive and things are not healthy. Um, I'll look at any stock anyone tells me to look at. If they say, hey, Joe, pull up XYZ, of course, I'm open-minded. I'll look at anything. But the first thing I'm going to look at on the chart is, on a daily chart, is if we're above the 50-day or below the 50-day. In other words... If you were stranded on a desert island for like 10 years and then you had no idea what was going on, no communication with the world, and you came back and somebody said, what do you think of the market? And you just pulled up a chart. The first thing I'm going to look at is, are we above or below the 50-day? Why? Because that is the area of institutional support. It roughly coincides with the 10-week moving average on weekly charts. And statistically, traditionally, historically, that's an area of institutional support. When I get into the Marketsmith charts, I'll show you some more. But bottom line is, you pull up any chart. Hey, I want to expose capital when the market's healthy. What's a, what's a great way to determine that? Just again, blindly, without having too much trading experience or knowledge, is are we above the 50-day moving average? That's why I put on this slide, it's for the most part, uh, green lights to be in the market. Are we below it? It's a red light to get defensive and for mostly to stay out, mostly for traders. Now, as I said in the slide is, it's not an exact science, but it can be used as a general red light or green light to stick with the trend. I like to use the NASDAQ composite because to me, that's the go-to index, the leadership index. You get over 3,000 stocks versus 500 in the S&P or 30 in the Dow. As I always say, you can do what works for you. People are obsessed with tech technicals on S&P. I really don't care. I like to use the NASDAQ. This is all about whatever works for you. So first sign, a way to improve your trading is look at where we are relative to the 50-day. If we're above that, that's usually a sign that the institutions are supporting the markets and, and probabilities are that breakouts are going to work. If we're below that, as we've been pretty much all this year, that's a sign to get defensive reduce position size, raise cash, breakouts are probably not going to work, and it's a time to have a little bit of sit-out power. So that's the first sign as far as a general sign uh, to improve your trading is just instantly look at the 50-day. Even with an individual stock, if we're well below that 50-day, unless you're some longer-term value manager and you have a 5-10 year time horizon on something that's been beaten down that you've done fundamental work on, um, even if you just pull up a stock and say, hey, what do you think here? If it's above the 50-day, again, just trying to hammer that point for people who might have tuned in late. If we're above the 50-day for the most part, it's a, it's a healthy sign. And if we're below it, it's a uh, sign to get defensive. So that's one way to improve your trading. Now, I like to try to take people from start to finish. I've done webinars. I've done seminars and in my educational product, all that stuff. So let's just go with the checkbox number one. Let's just say, hypothetically, we're above the 50-day and the market's healthy. Now, I want to take people to step two, a second way to improve your trading. It would be nice to try to find stocks that have characteristics of the biggest winners throughout history. 
that would be nice. It doesn't mean you have to do it that way. It's not the only way, but uh, William O'Neill did these studies of the characteristics of the greatest stocks. Now, the key word here is before. I put it in bold, I put it in capitals, and I underlined it because the studies were, let's study stocks before they went on, not after they went on big runs. Let's study them, uh, I mean, after they went on the big runs. Let's look at what they had in common prior to that. So before Microsoft and Cisco and Dell and Intel in the 90s became huge winners, before Walmart and Home Depot in the 80s and 90s became huge winners, going back to other stocks, this, the same patterns for the past 80 years have repeated themselves of let's study now, again, check mark number one, assuming the market's healthy. Number two, what stocks do we want to try to gravitate towards for people who are interested in individual stocks? You want to look at uh, there's 18 characteristics in this study, and I'm going to share, you know, the top four pretty much. But what causes a stock to go up? For the most part, assuming the market's healthy, if you're growing your business, for the most part, your stock is going to appreciate in value. And the dominant reason behind the success of the biggest winners throughout history before this became that and Chipotle went on to a huge gain and Apple went on to a huge gain and all the stocks that went on to huge gains. The main reason is earnings and sales growth. How much? At least 30% or greater. The greater, the better, but 30% or greater year over year is what we want to look at. And we want to compare the current quarter with the year over year prior year's quarter. For example, retail, for obvious reasons around the holiday shopping season, the fourth quarter is very strong. You want to compare the fourth quarter of retail to the prior year's fourth quarter. So that way you're comparing the proper seasonality. So the main reason behind the success of uh, big winners is earnings growth, sales growth, preferably 30% or greater. Uh, the third point here is most of the winners, 80% of them come from the same groups, consumer retail. By retail, that could be retail clothing, retail restaurants, fast casual. So it's not just shoes and apparel and the lululemons and all that stuff but it's also the panera breads you know the 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 fast casual taco bell before they got bought out by yum brands so it's not just retail and consumer clothing and apparel and shoes it's also restaurants as well computer related is wide ranges ranging software uh, to, uh, uh hardware uh semiconductors and so forth anything computer related Drug and medical has been huge with huge advances in, uh, in in biotechnology and medicine and so forth. Financials, another one. And leisure and entertainment, don't underestimate the power of fads. In the 60s, there was a huge bowling boom and pool and bowling, and that's what people did. Uh, and it was a big boom. And Brunswick, which made a lot of the equipment, went on like a 1,200% run in the 60s. So no different than with in more recent times with the yoga boom uh lululemon's done well as i mentioned before so don't underestimate fads or even shorter term booms in entertainment and 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 in uh in culture and so forth and then the fourth one is technicals 99 percent were above their 200 day 99 percent is like richard from the free throw line it's just money it's 99 percent uh, or maybe with your archery, bullseye, like 96% above its 50-day. i got to put it more, in, sorry, in, in your terms. Anyway, um, you want to combine this with strong technicals, which is the next point, is that 99% of the biggest winners throughout history were already above their 200-day, 
And the point I made earlier about the 50-day, 96% were above the 50-day. Marketsmith has a proprietary rating of relative strength, 1 to 99. It's a software package. I'm not promoting it. I've just been using it over 20 years. You want to see an average relative strength of 92. That's before. Again, the key word is before in bold uh, uh, capital letters and underlined. So technicals are very important. So those are the so those are two of the four ways for people who opt on late. One way to improve your trading, make sure the market is in an uptrend above the 50 day and for the most part healthy. When it is healthy, try to get into companies that are growing their earnings and sales. It's, it's not a guarantee. It's just to increase your probabilities of success. I want to pause here and say that a lot of people ask questions and they want to know, you know, what's the right answer to this? What's the right answer to that? There is no right or wrong answer with a lot of things. There's a lot of gray area. The market is not always going to be, you know, black or white. There's tons of gray area. So that's why I'm just talking in terms of probabilities to help increase your probabilities of success. So the second way to improve your trading is after the market's healthy, try to gravitate towards companies that have uh, strong earnings and sales growth and for the most part are growing their businesses. Now, third way, now that we got the market healthy, we got some nice fundamental stocks that are growing their earnings and sales. Entry point is everything for me. Uh, the viewers out there, you all have different time frames. Uh, some are day traders, some short term, even swing traders. Some trade a few days, few weeks, few months, few quarters. Some are position traders, some are longer term. I don't care what your time frame is. I think it's important to get a strong entry point because it'd be nice if you bought a stock at 50. I'm trying to be patient here, but if it slowly moves 51, 52, 55 in your direction, that's going to help build your confidence. Okay. Nothing worse than buying a stock at 50 and two weeks later, it's buried at 40 or 35. That's the worst feeling. So we want to, again, try to improve our probabilities of success by getting strong entry points. There's so many different uh, uh, technical patterns here. As I mentioned, bases are formed during market corrections. So we're in a correction now. That's when bases are formed. The top two that I mentioned here, cup with handle and double bottom, are the most popular ones. For sake of time, I'm just going to get into cup with handle, which is the next slide here. Uh, this is, we've, I assume a lot of people have heard the expression cup and handle, cup with handle, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's not a stupid question to ask. You know, I've heard of the phrase, I've heard of the technical pattern. What does it exactly look like? Because I was trading like three years, I've been doing it 25 years now. It's like three, four years into it. I'm like, you know, I asked, uh, you know, someone, can you show me what a cup with handle looks like? It's not a stupid question. Because remember, there's no such thing as stupid questions, just stupid people. Anyways, just seeing if people are paying attention. So cup with handle at the top of this slide and, and at the bottom, this is from William O'Neill's book, 24 Essential Lessons for Investment Success. At the top of the slide is just an outline of a cup with handle. And below it is an example of Microsoft on the weekly chart of what the cup with handle looks like. Cup with handles work on weekly charts, daily charts. You can use an intraday five minute. It's the same pattern where you usually have a prior uptrend. The market goes into a correction. In this case, we had a 90, 91 bear market. The first uh, Gulf War happened. We had a correction then and so forth um, with uh, the invasion with Kuwait, Iran, and all that stuff. Anyways, the first Gulf War. And that's when we went into, we had a correction, a base was formed. Now, 
You have a prior uptrend and people, in this case, Microsoft went from 40 to 75 or 80, and then some people bought it extended. They bought it incorrectly. Then a base is formed. That's why I mean entry point so important because if you bought it at point A at 75, it sucks when it drops to 55 several weeks later. But then what happens is it's building its base. They're growing their earnings and sales. The only reason it corrected is because the general market corrected. So then now you go build the base through point B. Now you get to point C and point D. What forms the handle, in my view, is people who bought incorrectly the first time, bought something when it was extended at point A, it gets back to even and they're like, just get me the heck out of this thing. That's what forms the handle. People who said, okay, I bought it 75 or 80. It went down to 55, comes back to 75 or 80. And now they're like, get me out. The handle's usually formed one to two weeks but now you want to wait for a dry up in the sellers, as you can see in all the chart, how it's marked up. You want to wait for all the sellers to get through that. All the people who said, yeah, 75, 80, I'm sick of the stock. Get me out of it. Get me out of it. And I really want to stress that this is the buy point before it went on to a huge move. So you might say, well, I don't want to buy it here because it's near its highs. No, it's a prior uptrend. The cup with handle usually forms over 12 to 26 weeks. The correction from top to bottom is about 12 to 33%. You want to look for improving relative strength. You want to look for tightness in the base. You want to look for uh, big volume bars, higher closes on ri rising volume. You want to learn how to analyze the bases. It takes time to do that. But the more time you put in, the more it'll help. And then you want to wait for it to come back, form a rounded U bottom. Maybe sometimes you have a shakeout in the handle. And that's the buy point. So again, First way to improve your trading, make sure the market's healthy. Number two, try to expose yourself to fundamentally strong stocks that have strong earnings and sales growth. And number three, learn the technical patterns, study the technical patterns, get strong entry points. I completely respect that all the viewers have all different time frames. I don't care what your time frame is, it doesn't matter. It's just important, no matter what your time frame is, to get strong, safer entry points when the market's healthy. So that's the third way to help improve your trading. Now, the fourth way, there's other ways, of course, I use unusual option activity to try to help my success. I use seasonality, I use a lot of other things for the sake of time. I think this is the most important one because I don't care if you have the greatest strategy handed to you on a silver platter. If your, mark, if your head's not straight, you're gonna screw it up. 2017 was one of those rare years of X equals Y meaning the S&P was up 20-something percent, and we didn't have a correction of greater than 3%. It was sit back in your rocking chair, and the market went straight up. A friend of mine was down like 30 35% that year because he was going through a brutal divorce. He was shorting the market. His mind wasn't straight. His head was all screwed up. 2017, just as a reminder, the average intra-year corrections, 14.5%. That was the first time since 95 we didn't have more than a 3% correction in the market. It's very rare. It was straight up. You, you Literally, you could have sat back in your rocking chair and made money with minimal drawdowns. Why he had a difficult year is because his head wasn't straight. I really want to stress the importance of you need to be mentally tough. You need to be able to make decisions. You need to be mentally strong. It's like a muscle. Before you can lift 25 pounds. You got to learn how to lift five pounds before you can buy, you know, 100 shares. You got to learn how to trade with 10 shares. You got to work and build your decision making ability because I tweeted this out before that. And I'm sure Richard and Ray, you guys would say the same thing. Like 
90% of the questions you get, there's no right or wrong answer. It's what do I do with position size? Where do I buy? Where do I stop myself out? It really depends on so many factors, but you know, the best way to deal with this is to just get mentally tough and learn how to make a decision. That's it. If I ever wrote a book, I don't have a book. I know Anne-Marie does, and some other speakers have great books. If I ever wrote a book on the stock market, the title would be Stop Being a Little Bitch and Learn How to Make a Decision. I know that probably wouldn't sell well. Maybe it would would be. But my whole point is I'm trying to impress upon people, learn how to make decisions. Be mentally tough. As I said, you could have the greatest strategy. I could give you a stock that's a perfect setup. If your head's not straight, you're going to screw it up. Okay, Joe, that's great. I, I agree with you. How do you get mentally tougher? A, a lot of it's just learning how to make decisions, but gratitude is one way. Because what are the two emotions that screw us up in our life, that screw up our trading, screw up our business, screw up our relationships, screw up everything, is anger and fear. Okay? And one way to overcome that is to focus on gratitude. Meaning that if you can focus on things you can be grateful for, then you will eliminate the anger and the fear because the human mind is incapable of being grateful and angry at the same time. It's just physi physiologically impossible. You can't be grateful and fearful at the same time. Okay, Joe, well, what can I be grateful for? I don't know any of the viewers out there, or the majority of them, but you can be grateful you have a roof over your head. You have a little bit of food in your fridge. You got a family or friends that love you. You have a little bit of money. You're watching this online right now. There's a million things you can be grateful for. And when you focus on gratitude, your breathing calms down. You become a lot more relaxed. You become a lot more mentally sound. And those emotions of fear and anger that screw us up in everything in life, especially in our trading, those tend to go away. So you got to focus on gratitude, physical strength. So a lot of people know this, that Tony Robbins coaches Paul Tudor Jones, who's one of the greatest traders of all times, one of the greatest money managers of all times. Why? Because of consistency, consistently profitable for whatever, 28, whatever the number is, years. Okay. And he pays Tony Robbins seven figures a year. I don't know the exact amount. Who cares? But he pays him every morning to make sure he is mentally strong and mentally tough. Tony Robbins says that um, people pay him seven figures a year to coach them. I'm going to tell you for free the first thing I tell them all. Get your ass in shape. I'm going to tell you for free when people pay me seven figures for personal coaching. The first thing I tell people, whether you're a trader, even if you're an athlete, a business person, running a family, whatever the reason is you go for personal coaching, the first thing he says is get your ass in shape because physical strength will lead to mental strength. So I know people who are do you know triathlons who are in incredible shape and go and do run like crazy and do all sorts of physical activity and hike and everything. They're in way better shape than I am. There are other people who are struggling with it. At least walk especially on the weekends, get off of Twitter, get off of social media. It's toxic, except to watch this conference, then it's okay. But other than that, just go out for a walk, spend some time outside, work on your physical strength, because that'll help your mental strength. Reading, feeding your mind. There's a great book called The Magic of Believing by Claude Bristol. And he talks about feeding your mind with good ideas. You want to feed your mind with strong, I'm going to get into the reading list for trading in a minute, but Reading and feeding your mind will also help with that strength. Surrounding yourself with like-minded people. If you're determined to improve something in your life, you got to make sure there's, a, there's an expression, you become like the five closest people you hang out with. So 
if your significant other smokes, you're probably going to be a smoker. If your significant other goes out for a workout, you'll probably go out for a workout. If they're a crackhead, you'll probably be a crackhead. You get my point is that surround yourself with like-minded people. And all of this will help you build confidence by making decisions. As I said earlier, the best way to lift 25 pounds, start with five. The best way to trade 100 shares. For example, I've given some people a stock and I say, I like this stock. And then it takes off and they're like, oh, I was going to buy it. Well, what were you going to buy? I was going to buy 100 shares and I hesitated and blah, 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 blah. I'm not criticizing. We all go through this. And I say to the person, well, why don't you just start with 10 shares? You know, I wanted to lift the 25 pounds, but I couldn't. We'll start with the five pounds. I mean, I wanted to buy the 100 shares and I hesitated. Well, then buy 10. What does buying 10 do is let's say you make that decision and you're right. The next time around, it builds that muscle and becomes easier to buy the 10 shares, maybe even the 20 shares. When you are when you get your confidence reinforced, you can work your way up. So for newer traders or if you're struggling with your confidence, build your confidence slowly by making decisions. Start with a smaller amount. That'll help build. I don't like paper trading because your gut your hard-earned money, your emotions are not involved in paper trading. I don't care if you're starting with $500. Start whatever it is. And people say, how much should I start with? Again, there's no right or wrong answer. I'd like to start with with like, I don't know, $200 million. That'd be a nice number to start with. But since I don't have $200 million, start with whatever works. I mean, some people say, is $500 enough, $1,000 enough, $5,000? Start with whatever works. Build it small, and it'll help to build your confidence. Um, what else do we got here? So feeding your mind with reading. I love the expression, success leaves clues. So study success. Don't reinvent the wheel. Find a strategy that fits for your personality. If you don't have a personality, go out and get one. Come back, find a strategy that works with your personality. If you are fundamental, study Peter Lynch. Study a lot of his, one of the greatest fundamental investors of all times. If you are value and that works for your personality, study Graham and Dodd, Warren Buffett and all that stuff. If you're a trader, all the Market Wizards books, and I know Jack Swagger has more Market Wizards books, but the main ones, I love the OG one, the original one with Ed Sakota and William O'Neill and uh, Paul Tudor Jones and David Ryan, some great people in there. But my point is, find a strategy that fits your personality and try to study other successful people from the past that have done well and then mimic their blueprint with your own style. I love the William O'Neill style. I love the Jesse Livermore style. Doing this 25 years, I've impl implemented unusual option activity. They never talk about any of that stuff. I'm not going to blindly follow somebody. It's just something over the past five, six, seven years that I've implemented to help my style. So my point is find a blueprint and continue to improve. As I said earlier, one characteristic of successful people is they're always looking to improve. One thing I love about this game, I'm literally learning stuff. After 25 years of doing this, I'm literally learning stuff every week, and I love it. Once someone says, yeah, I got it all figured out, they're screwed, they're done. The market will conveniently find a way to punch your arrogant attitude in your face. You always have to be humble. Uh, one thing I love about David Ryan, he says, what's a great characteristic of a successful trader? Humility. You need to have humility. You always got to be willing to learn. You're not smarter than the market, as we've said the market doesn't care if you have to feed your kids, have to pay your bills, doesn't care about you, doesn't care about anything. You have to be humble, find a strategy that fits your blueprint and look to uh, grow from there. I have a recommended reading list, uh, how to make money in stocks. The greatest lesson you can learn for chart reading is how to make money in stocks. Fourth edition, William O'Neill, orange cover, 
study the first hundred pages in that book. I will say this again. It's like $14.95 on Amazon. Get the paperback. Get in your house. History doesn't always repeat itself, but it tends to rhyme. Maybe when you go to bed at night, you're trying to fall asleep. Um, you can listen to a Fed speaker. That also knocks me right out. Who needs Ambien when you can listen to the Fed talk? But go through the charts in all seriousness. Study the hundred charts, the first hundred pages in that book. It's the greatest winners throughout history that the O'Neill team marked up, annotated where to buy, where to add to, a normal consolidation, where to cut your losses, where to sell. Study those charts. That's the greatest lesson you can learn in chart reading, in my humble opinion. How to Trade in Stocks by Jesse Livermore. That is cited by so many people. That and reminiscences of a stock operator. Not just stock traders, but like Bill Gross, for example, the great bond trader you know, from PIMCO and Janice and so forth. His favorite book is Reminiscences of a Stock Operator. That's a great book. Talk about mental toughness. Mark Douglas, disciplined trader, trading in the zone. Explains this shit way better than I can. Amazing, amazing on mental toughness. Victor Sperandeo has great books on and and by the way there's a million great books and i know there are uh you know Anne marie brian shannon so many of the my colleagues and speakers here have written great books i'm just trying to pick some that might help victor sparendale with trend following is great nicholas darvis how i made two million in the stock market uh, a funny title but it's a great book if you ever want to write a book on the stock market title it how I made $3 million in the stock market because people will probably buy that one. Like if you're at the bookstore, I don't care how the person made $2 million. I want to know how the person made $3 million. It's kind of like um, something about Mary with the seven-minute abs and the eight-minute abs. I don't have eight minutes. I don't have time to do abs. I want to do the seven-minute abs. Anyways, Battle for Investment Survival was written in the 50s. You read that, it's literally like you just like it's he's talking about the markets today because a lot of things don't change. Even William O'Neill says that's one of his favorite books. I literally went through that like a month ago. I love that book as well. I talked about the Market Wizards books and confidence, self-help books, mental toughness. Uh, I think the greatest book on trading, which is not about trading, is uh, is Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. I think bar none, that is the greatest book you can read to help with your mental toughness. Wayne Dyer. Norman Vincent Peale, so many, you know, Tony Robbins stuff. Listen to David Goggins on YouTube, read his book, Can't Hurt Me. I mean, there's so much stuff that's for free with great resources. Tony Robbins, David Goggins, Joe Rogan, all of that stuff will really, really help. If you're just going out for a walk, you know, on the treadmill, whatever the heck you do for your exercise, listen to that stuff to feed your mental strength. Uh, one other quick trading tip. When you read the Market Wizards books, You'll find a common theme, just like in real estate. What are the top three rules in real estate? Uh, location, location, location. When you read the Market Wizards books of all the amazing traders and investors and money managers th uh, throughout history, you will find a common theme. Top three rules. Cut your losses, cut your losses, cut your losses. Play defense, play defense, play defense. Defense wins championships in sports. Defense also helps tremendously in the markets. Let me, give me one second. Let me grab some water. So this is an actual chart. I've used this before in presentations. Um, I think you already know the answer to this one, Richard. But uh, this is an actual chart, a stock in 2000, 2001. A lot of people, unfortunately, had a lot of their retirement in this. Analysts had like three, $400 price targets. It went from $30, $40 to $90. And then all of a sudden on this weekly chart, you can see all the huge bars that are marked up with the arrows there of distribution of institutions getting out of the stock, 
breaking below that 50-day or in the weekly chart, the 10-week. And that was a warning sign that institutions were selling. Um, and this is an actual chart. It just says company XYZ. I'll give you a second to guess. I know Richard already knows the answer. Next next slide. This was a chart of Enron. As I showed you, went from 20, 30, 40 up to 90. That round arch at the top of the chart is the, all of the markups of all the key sell signals with just huge institutions dumping huge volume. And by cutting your losses, it protects your confidence because that will help. All it takes is one WorldCom, one CMGI, one Lehman Brothers, Bear Stearns. I did this talk once and there was someone who used to work at Bear Stearns and they went storming out of the room at a Trader's Expo. Like I offended them. I'm like, I'm nothing to do with me. I'm just saying there's so many examples throughout history. Enron, the list is endless of stocks that have completely fallen apart. And, and all it takes is one to ruin your year, ruin your portfolio. You That's why we all have our conviction. We all like our names. We all like our stocks. We all have certain ideas. Let the market prove you right or wrong. But when it proves you wrong, going back to David Ryan's line about humility, you can't have an ego. You got to be humble. You got to say, you know what? I had a theory. The market proved me wrong. I got to eat it. At some point, no matter what your time frame is, you got to be able to cut your losses. And then one other slide here is another reason to cut your losses is um, a lot of people know the math. They just don't think about it. Meaning we know if you have $100 and you lose 10%, you're at $90. But now to get from 90 to 100, it takes 11% to get it back. So the greater the loss, the harder the, the percentage return, the larger the percentage return it's going to take. If you have $100 and you lose 50%, you have $50. How are you going to get from $50 back to the 100 You need a double. You need a 100% rule, 100% gain. So the rule is the greater the loss, the harder it is to come back. That's why you want to try to minimize your losses depending on your time frame. Try to cut your losses. That's another reason to cut your losses. So these are the, this is the first part of the presentation. We can get into the second one whenever you want. Uh, uh, Richard, I'll, I'll, I'll stop the share for now. Just to review... Four ways to improve your trading. Number one, try to identify when the market's healthy using the 50-day when we're in an uptrend. Number two, try to expose yourself to strong fundamental names. Number three, get those strong entry points. Learn the technical patterns. Number four, it doesn't matter if all this is lined up. Get your head straight no matter what. This, this isn't just helping your trading because I truly believe 80% of trading is psychology, if not 90%. This helps you in your general life. This helps you running your businesses. This helps you with your health with your family, with your relationships and all that stuff. Stay mentally strong. And there are a lot of ways to do that as well. So those are four ways I hope people uh, help, help them with their trading in general. Yeah, I think that's an excellent reminder. And uh, before we get into the next section, we'll do a quick Q&A covering the topics on that first presentation. And to kick things off, Joe, I'd love to ask you, you know, going back to those characteristics of big winning stocks, um, is there a certain kind of market cap you know, size that you look for as well? Um, you know, do you focus more on the smaller caps, the mid caps, or do you also favor, favor the large caps as well? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I like to try to find the mid cap names. It's not to say, you know, mid cap names would be, I would say like two to 20 billion market cap. It's not to say that, you know, obviously the smaller cap names can't work, but and it's also, you know, in recent markets, the FANG stocks have been all mega cap names that have done well. Yeah. So that's an awesome question. I just don't know what the right or wrong answer is. I'm trying to find those mid cap names 
that might go from two to 10 billion in market cap or maybe five to 20 billion. Not to say that, you know, an Apple when it crossed one trillion didn't go to two or three trillion or whatever it went to. Not to say you can't get a big gain out of a monster name, you know, like Amazon and Google and all the fang names. But the sweet spot for me is the sort of mid cap trying to get from that two in that range, two to five to about 20 billion market cap. We're pausing for a brief moment to let you guys know that this podcast is also brought to you by TraderLine Private Access. If you're looking for mentorship and a guide for your trading journey, you should look no further. At TL Private, we focus on teaching you a sustainable, risk-focused growth investing system that you can take and make your own. Unlock exclusive resources, courses, and educational opportunities, and learn more at TraderLine.com slash private access. Perfect. And along those lines, um, there's also a few questions about what you kind of look for in terms of that like end factor, you know, new and innovative product. Um, you know, a lot of the people who, who fall can slam, that becomes really, really important. We always kind of want to see that theme going on. Uh, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that and kind of what you look for. Yeah, I like to, um, it's not necessarily new, it's themes of when I screen. When I screen and let's go through 100 stocks, let's say a couple years ago, and or around the pandemic lows, I go through 100 stocks and like 20 of them are software related. So it's telling me there's maybe a huge boom in the cloud, obviously work from home, huge boom in software cloud and so forth. Or a little bit farther along the line from the bull market from 2020 up until uh, you know December of last year, I would screen and find a whole bunch of semiconductor names. They weren't necessarily new, but there was just a big boom in chips going into, as we know, not just PCs like years ago, going into smartphones, watches, appliances, cars. The list is endless going into everything. So it's trying to screen and find themes of stocks that are the the majority, like a light bulb goes off when you go through 100 names and you say, wow, 20 or 25 came from this sector. That'll help me gravitate towards not necessarily sometimes what's new, but what might be uh, ready for a new boom in growth. Yeah. So to kind of use an example in current markets, biotech, that's kind of been the theme that's been working. So yeah, 100% yeah. agree. Um, and there are a few questions about, you know, why you pick that 50 day moving average. There are a few, uh, why don't you use the 20 day, you know, eight day moving average. So I'd love to hear your answer on that. And, and uh, yeah, your thoughts overall. Oh yeah. No, there's no right or wrong answer. Um, some people who are short-term use, I've heard some people say I use the eight day, I use the nine day, I use the 10 day. Yeah. I really don't care. I mean, my charts, I have the 10 day on there, the 21 EMA, because Mike Webster said that um, uh, the studies they did at O'Neill uh, throughout history, the 21 EMA tends to hug the charts a little bit better. So that's a great line. Uh, it depends on time frame. There are some people who are like, I don't care if you're a junkie, short-term crack day trader. I really don't care. There's some people they are like, why would I use the 50-day? I'm, I'm just looking for super strong uptrends. God bless. Do what works for you. My charts have the 10-day, 21 EM, EMA, 50-day, and 200-day. For longer-term people, the 200-day would be, your your for me, the hardcore line in the sand. No matter how much you love the company, 200-day would be the absolute line, uh, hardcore line. But I digress. To directly answer your question, it depends on your time frame. So if you're trading shorter term, yeah, use the 10, use the 8, use the 21, whatever works for you. If I'm managing money and I want to try to stick with some positions for a few months, few quarters, I'm going to use that 50-day. That's why the 50-day and the 10-week for medium to longer term time frames is a guideline. 
some people who are shorter term say I'm never going to own something below the 21 day. So the direct answer is it depends on your time frame. Yeah, perfect. And uh, there's a question here from Giovanni. Uh, he said he quoted a lot of O'Neill um, and uh, Giovanni would like to know if you have any kind of strategies to kind of track rotation, you know, from one group to the next or from one area of the market to the next. Yeah, no, O'Neill's just a great blueprint. I obviously have respect for him and the, and the team tremendously. Um, I do that through screening. As I said, I screen the market. I look at 500 to 1,000 stocks every night. One, because as you mentioned earlier, a lot of the speakers are very passionate about this. Two, because I have no life, so I have no problem admitting that. But seriously, I like to screen because that is the true way you get a feel for the markets. I know people wake up in the morning and there's several financial channels and then there's all this noise on social media and then there's 20 bloggers five are bullish five are bearish five say buy gold five say hide under your bed five say go on margin i know that's 25 but you get my point it can be there's a lot of noise out there what helps me shut out the noise and to find the sectors that are being rotated into is by screening to your point i've been saying since may june that biotech is likely to be a leader for the second half and we'll get into that later but my point is that where did i come up with that i was screening that's what screening helps shut out the noise helps you focus on the phrase don't focus on what you think the market should be doing focus on what it's actually doing and by screening i don't really have an opinion on biotech but i screen and i'm like wow like 30 of the 100 names on my first screen are biotech biomedical, medical products, light bulb, light bulb, something should go off, common sense that the market is rotating to that. So again, the direct answer is screening helps you identify the sectors the market's rotating into. Perfect. And kind of a follow up to that, um, you know, once, you know, a group has kind of been established and it's been the leading group, what are some signs that, you know, that trend is kind of failing? Uh, recently, we saw the, you know, the oil and gas related names, the coal names that had been super strong, kind of break those 50-day moving at averages on, on huge volume. So once you've got a trend in place right now, the biotech is super strong, what would be an indication that, you know, the trend is kind of changing and there might be some rotation out of that group? Yeah, that's a great question. Like XLE, XOP, OIH, those are three of the main oil services, exploration and production, all the main energy ETFs. 10-week moving average, 50-day. That's why I mentioned that in the slide. That's a great trend-following you know, line. Again, it depends on your time frame. But once XLE, for example, and XOP had great support for a long time along that 10-week, once they sliced through it in June and didn't find support and broke through it on, on a heavy volume, done. I'm out. I'm not interested in the sector because – if that's an area of traditional institutional support and the big institutions control the markets, if they're no longer supporting the names, why am I going to get in, in the way of that? Perfect. Yeah, I think uh, that's good for now. Uh, if you've got any kind of follow-up questions, let, let us know down below in the chat. But for now, let's dive right in with uh, part two of uh, your presentation, Joe. Yeah, I, I don't have all my slides here, but you wanted me to talk about maybe a current, uh, let me go back and share my screen here. Um, so yeah, you get a bonus, you get two. Uh, two for one. You get two for one. So we did four ways to improve your trading. This is where I'm gonna pull up MarketSmith and I'm happy to have a discussion with you, Richard. Maybe if you wanna ask questions from here is, um, 
Trading 25 years. I'm trying to help people speed up the process. We've always heard the phrase, don't fight the Fed, don't fight the Fed, don't fight the Fed. It comes from Marty Zweig, Marty Zweig the late, great Marty Zweig, came up with two awesome expressions, don't fight the Fed and don't fight the tape. So trading 25 years, I kept hearing don't fight the Fed. It really didn't resonate with me. It really didn't leave a strong impression upon me until the last five years. I'm not a macro economist. I talking about macro again, talk about knocking you out and boring the you know what out of you like macro is way too boring. However, you need to know the general direction, the general tone, the general philosophy of the Fed. I've been saying since beginning of the year and I especially hammered it in April. I wrote about it for free. I went on TV. I you know, wrote about it for Yahoo Finance. I talked about it, tweeted about it all the time with the phrase of we're not going to see a sustained uptrend until the Fed is done with this interest rate hiking cycle. And since April, we've seen some bounces, but nothing, everything's short-lived. Why? Because the Fed is raising rates, taking liquidity out of the system, and you don't want to fight that. And it really resonated, I think, for us to get, you know, to get more into current markets and so forth. I think we need to get verbal confirmation or an announcement from the Fed that they've at least, they're not, I don't know about whether I use the word stop this current rate hiking cycle or pausing it until they basically shift policy and say, we've raised rates enough. Now we're going to pause and let the rates filter in and absorb into the system. That's when, in my view, for people who have a time frame for longer than seven minutes, this is for people who are looking for a keyword, sustained uptrend is when the Fed signals they're going to pause, in my opinion. Let me give you some examples. And I wrote about this recently and talked about this so many times, which is uh, the reason I say this is because, again, it's really resonated with me when we've been in past corrections. It wasn't until we got some sort of, sort of verbal announcement from the Fed chair that helped lead us out of this. 2010, we're in a four-month correction. We had the flash flash crash of May 2010. We go through a four-month correction, oscillating, complete garbage, five days up, five days down, nothing sustained. And then it wasn't until September 1st, 2010. I always joke. I don't even remember what I had for dinner last night, but I remember specific dates in the markets. Ben Bernanke, the Fed chair at the time at the Jackson Hole Symposium in Wyoming, came out September 1st, and guess what? He announced QE2. Follow through day, September 1. It gives the institutions confidence to come back in because I can't repeat this enough. The institutions control the markets, the big pension funds, mutual funds, hedge funds, the, the guys and gals who are trading millions, if not more than that, shares. They control the market. So common sense, it'd be nice to kind of follow what they do. Wait for signs of big volume coming into the markets. QE2 announced that uh, liquidity, accommodation, and was an equity-friendly environment for a sustained uptrend into the fall, into the end of the year in 2010. Fast forward to 2018. This was another example. Uh, current Fed Chair, uh, I almost forgot his name, Fed Chair Powell, Jerome Powell says, uh, we're gonna raise rates. They were raising rates slowly and steadily through 2018. And then he says, we're gonna keep raising three or four more times in the following year. We went into a correction, about 20%. And then he came out in mid-December of 2018. We're going to raise rates again, maybe even reduce our balance sheet. The market 
clearly couldn't handle it. I don't care about the mechanics. I know there's a lot of leverage in the system. I'm not here to argue it. I'm just here to analyze it. We went into a correction, and then credit spreads widened. It got a lot of things happened in the markets. The, the structure of the markets were in trouble. He came out January 4th of 2019. We will be patient. I don't know why I did the Dr. Evil finger quotes, but we will be patient with monetary policy. A Fed announcement, that uh, verbal announcement that they're going to be patient with monetary policy. Follow through day on July, excuse me, January 4th, 2019 sustained uptrend. Let me give you two quick examples. Let me move over because I apologize. I didn't get to finish all my slides. Let me pull up MarketSmith. Let me give me one second. This is live MarketSmith. And can you see MarketSmith now? Yep. Just popped up. Okay. So let's go back to uh, 2020. So I talked about 2010 and let's go back to the pandemic correction. Uh, pandemic hits. We had a follow through day on April 2nd uh, on the S&P 500. This is the NASDAQ. And on the NASDAQ, a big volume day uh, up, whatever it was, 7.3%. Huge volume day. Follow through day on April 6th on the NASDAQ composite. What led to the institutions coming in was insane Fed liquidity and policy. Bond buying. They did more bond buying, as I mentioned, in these first six weeks following the pandemic than they did in nine years combined. More treasury purchases in six weeks than in nine years from 2009 to 2018. Insane amount of bond buying. Interest rates, zero. Uh, liquidity, increasing the money supply, doing everything they can for a once in a century pandemic to make sure the markets and the whole world and the economy doesn't collapse. So they provided insane liquidity. That those announcements of all the series of, of announcements of liquidity and accommodation, similar to 2010, similar to the end of 2018, these announcements helped, helped us to a sustained uptrend. That's the third example. Now reset to today. What happened in December of 2021? We had a nice sustained uptrend because when you look at the weekly chart here, since the pandemic lows, for the most part, we held that 10 week. You don't want to fight the Fed when they're providing liquidity, right? And then what is the main reason, in my opinion, we broke through the 10 week? When you go to the daily chart, it's because all of that liquidity, bond buying, the Fed said, uh, we're going to stop our bond buying in 2022. Big distribution market starts to break down. Interest rates at zero. The Fed says, we're going to probably raise rates in 2022. Another leg down with more with more uh, distribution, showing signs of the big institutions getting out. Early January, early to mid-January of this year in their Fed minutes, we're going to start to uh, reduce our balance sheet. More distribution breaking below the 10-week and eventually the 200-day. So my point is, of this whole rant, soliloquy, you know, TED Talk, whatever you want to call it, is that you don't want to fight the Fed when they're providing liquidity. Don't get in their way when they're providing an accommodative, equity-friendly environment. In my opinion, I can't put a percentage on this. Let's say 90% of this decline this year is because the Fed stopped their bond buying, stopped their accommodation, raised interest rates, reducing their balance sheet, and that's what leads to this downtrend. And in my humble opinion, we won't get a real sustained follow-through day and sustained uptrend until they pause their current rate hiking cycle.
I can Perfect. keep going. Unless no, no. <laughs> Perfect. That's awesome. And uh, I just want to ask everybody watching, uh, go ahead and leave a question down below in the chat box. We'll, we can cover you know individual stocks as well as the rest of the market. Uh, but first things first, uh, Joe, I want to kind of ask you, how do you combine this kind of macro analysis with you know the analysis of the leading stocks? Because right now, as we mentioned previously, biotech has, has been pretty strong. So are you less aggressive? Are you lowering overall position size if you are taking trades? How do you kind of handle that when you know the market's in a longer term downtrend? And of course, we've got kind of the Fed, you know, being a headwind, uh, yeah, headwind versus um, a tailwind. Yeah, I um, I try to just look at the overall picture. I'm not a macroeconomist and all that stuff coming into this year. And I mentioned to my educational members, we were still holding up here and coming into January. When there's mixed signals, you can there are still a lot of semiconductors holding up well. I said, OK, I can make the argument that the Fed is taking away all this liquidity and we can fall apart here. I can also make the argument that the market at the time was incredibly resilient and some semiconductors were holding up well. So, uh, and I you know, disclosed all this publicly in the sense of, I just said, well, why don't we meet halfway? It doesn't have to be margin. It doesn't have to be all cash. Let me be 50% invested. That way, if we break down, you have a big amount of cash, fairly large amount of cash to hopefully cushion the downside. And if we go higher, you still have exposure. That's what I mean by when someone's not sure and making the decision, nothing wrong with meeting halfway or even a quarter of the way instead of 100 shares buying 25 and seeing what happens. If it goes up, you still have some. If it goes down, you hopefully don't lose as much with a smaller position. And I said, I'll give the market the benefit of the doubt because remember, it's been, it had been incredibly resilient for a long time. And then once we broke below the 50-day and all this distribution continued to come in, that's where I combine... I don't care because the stocks are breaking down, nothing's showing up. And that's when I pretty much went, you know, for most of the year, zero to 20% invested with huge heavy cash because there were no stocks setting up. So it was a combination of the Fed coming in combined with when I screened, uh, not finding anything. And the few stocks that were holding up in semis were breaking down. And then when we had these follow through days in, in January 31st, we had a follow through day. I literally was like that night, I sent out a note saying, BS, this is not going to be a valid follow through day. There were no stocks setting up. When we came into April, we ran into the 200 day. Uh, we had that sort of end of the quarter short covering rally, portfolio adjustments. There were no stocks setting up. That's when I publicly came out and said, nothing sustained until the Fed changes their tune because you don't want to fight that. So I don't know if I answered your question, but I've been keeping things light uh, because of no stocks setting up. Now, to answer your question on biotech, let me show you something a few weeks ago that kind of tipped the market tipped its hand a few weeks ago. The S&P 500 a few weeks ago was down uh, 5.4 weeks ago, was down 5.79% on the S&P 500. NASDAQ composite four weeks ago was down, or maybe it was the, the prior week. Let me, let, me see, let me go to XBI, give me one second. This is live, I gotta go to the week. Uh, yeah, it was here, sorry. Let me let me reset. S&P 500 four weeks ago was down 5.9%. NASDAQ Composite four weeks ago was down 4.78%. Russell 2000 four weeks ago was down 7.5%. That was four weeks ago. Three major indexes down between 5 to 7.5%. Hopefully people are following. Look at the XBI four weeks ago. Four weeks ago right here up 0.87%. I can't think of anything as clear as day 
when the market averages are getting massacred and a lot of growth stocks are getting killed and biotech is green on the week, that is relative strength. Relative to the markets, a index showing strength. That was the main reason I said at this point, I'm going to start taking a position because if you survived a five to seven and a half percent week to be green, then that's one the number one reason because of the relative strength. I started to get into XBI and started even saying and tweeting, I think, you know, to my educational members, I went on TV and said second half of the year, I think biotech is going to do well. That's reason number one. Reason number two is I start screening a majority of the stock showing up on my screens were biotech, medical biomedical medical products that was part of the second reason i it started to confirm my conviction because a lot of stocks were approaching 52 week or near term highs that's the second reason the third reason is that i personally feel that um big pharma your mercs your pfizers your astrazenecas and all of those huge bristol myers of eli lilly all of these companies have insane cash on hand, pristine balance sheets. And I think the third reason is you're going to see more M&A in the second half of the year. This isn't investment advice, just trying to break down my thesis. For example, Biohaven, uh, BHVN, if I can type, uh, yeah. Pfizer bought them out for $12 billion in cash, okay? TPTX was another one that Bristol-Myers bought out for over $4 billion. Uh, Sierra's not on here, SRRA, that uh, GlaxoSmithKline, another huge GSK, another big pharma, 100 billion pharma company, bought out Sierra. That deal closed at the end of June. That's why the symbol won't show up on MarketSmith. My point is that my reasoning for XBI is the relative strength stock showing up and my theory of if the first half of the year wasn't the greatest environment and the big pharma names were putting four to 12 billion uh, in M&A activity, and now Merck is talking about buying Seattle Genetics, now called CGen, for, you know, this is a $33 billion market cap company, could be one of the largest big pharma biotech takeovers. If they're putting cash to work in a difficult market, that's telling me we're most likely going to see more M&A in the second half of the year. Perfect. Yeah, the, the relative strength has been pretty clear, and, and you did your entire presentation last year on relative strength. So if people are curious about, uh, you know, how Joe actually goes about looking for those stocks, bucking the overall trend, I think I'd highly recommend checking out that presentation. Yeah, uh, and I used yeah. a lot of the same jokes this year as I did last year, so I'm just apologizing. In just warning in advance. Yeah, no yeah. problem. Um, yeah, so keep the questions coming, guys. And um, I also wanted to ask you a little bit about, you know, what's your kind of favorite screen? Because a lot of people are asking about, you know, how do you look for stocks like the stocks in XBI that, you know, are acting well? Um, and you don't just just kind of one screen, I think, would be good. Just give them a sense. And if they, they can check out that other presentation, if they really want the details. Yeah, I have a uh, I mean, a simple screen is 30 for 30, um, which I talked about. And I have a lot of screens here. Some I don't run regularly. Some I've just built and never looked at. I, I want to stress something here that. There's no magic in the screens. There, there's a lot of people, and I have no problem sharing whatever. For all my educational members, I share my screens. But my point is, people think there's some mad scientist, complex derivatives, unbelievable, like crazy stuff behind the screens. It's pretty damn simple. Mike Webster always is coming up with screens and playing around. My main answer to this one is be resourceful, put in the time, play around with screens, and putting in the time. The magic isn't in 
the screen to build because I'm going to show you a screen that's pretty simple. The magic is in putting in the work and putting in the time. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't want to work and don't want to put in the time. We live in a very impatient world. They're just like, give me the stocks, give me the stocks. Learn and put in the time if you're passionate about this, if you want to do this long term, if you want to have consistency, you want to build something longer term, not just, hey, monkey, give me a stock for Monday. If you want to build something over the long run, hopefully we're in this, as my friend Brian Lund says, 10, 20, 30 years, learn and put in the work, put in some screens. I talked about the greatest winners throughout history having 30% earnings and sales growth. So what's in the 30-30 screen? Market Smith has a uh, relative strength rating of 1 to 99. I picked 90. Why'd you pick 90, Joe? Because Harvard doesn't take people who scored in the SATs like in the 20th percentile. They pick the 99th percentile, unless you're really good at sports. But anyways, you want to be in the top of the top 10 percentile, so 90 or greater relative strength. Sometimes O'Neill says 80. Some people say 95. Some people pick 82. I really don't care. I'm trying to impress upon people. It doesn't matter. Just put in a number and be resourceful and work with it. I picked 90 because I want the top 10 percentile of stocks. Last quarter, year-over-year -year change. Earnings per share, 30% or greater. Why? It correlates to the studies throughout history. Sales, 30% or greater. Current price, this is where you can put in whatever you want. I believe you get what you pay for. I don't like to trade penny stocks. I don't care if you do. Uh, you can put in $20. You can put in $40. You can put in $10. It doesn't matter. The whole point is put in a number, play around with it, be resourceful. And then 50-day average volume, I like something that trades 200,000 shares or more on average a day. Some people want something more liquid with 500,000 or a million shares. Some people want less. Well, again, there's no right or wrong answer. This produces 53 stocks, and then I go through them. I have several other screens, but this is just a basic screen to get you some good technicals, good fundamentals, and uh, some fairly liquid names. Perfect. And there were a few people asking if you could also talk about the strength in the China-related names, and then also maybe touch on kind of how you're managing risk in these type of sectors where, you know, we can't have a gap down on news. Biotechs are kind of known for that a little bit. And, you know, there's been some experiences with China names in the past, like LK. Um, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that as well. Yeah. Um, as far as um, the China names, some of them have been showing up. I've been avoiding them because of regulatory risk. I just make a decision. Going back to earlier, I don't have FOMO. Uh, FOMO is fear of missing Oprah. I'm kidding. Fear of missing out. I don't have FOMO. FOMO is for the weak. Don't be weak. I'm trying to help people build calm, confident traders. Build your confidence. Don't ever have FOMO. If you struggle with FOMO, fix your head and don't have it. Meaning that, uh, sorry to digress, but there's some China stocks. They look good. I don't care. If they go higher, I don't care. There's always opportunities. I don't have FOMO. It took me time to improve my mental skills. I'm not ever saying I was born this way or I started off trading this way. I had weakness, I had fear, I had doubt until I made the decision, enough is enough, and I'm not gonna have FOMO. There are stocks that set up, they look good, they take off, I miss them, it's okay. So my point is with the China stocks, I just made a decision, I'm avoiding them because of regulatory risk. So if they go without me, I don't care. I'm trying to impress that upon people. Now with biotech, uh, I, I mentioned XBI because it's equally weighted and it's weighted towards a lot of those small and mid cap that we, I talked about that I like. Uh, I like it better than IBB. How do you know the weighting? There's a website called Google and you can search the components of XBI and you can type in components of IBB. You can compare the two 
put in a little bit of work. It'll give you a list of what everything is weighted. I like XBI because you don't have the individual stock risk and it gives you a broad exposure to the sector. For me, for individual biotechs, this is where I try to be more resourceful. I put in the work. I can't tell people enough. You got to work at this. You got to not have fears. You got to work if you want to improve. Number one is I follow unusual option activity. And I do that through uh, Options Hawk has an incredible service because people say, where do I find it? Uh, Wall Street Jesus also has a great service as well. I filter that information to help me increase my probabilities of finding some winners in biotech especially when there's unusual option activity and especially in biotech when there's put writing because put writing is dangerous because you're willing to buy it if it drops and if the writing puts again what's the key word it increases your probabilities of success so i follow unusual option activity i've been lucky and blessed that i have some friends on wall street some are biotech analysts at firms some know this stuff a million times i don't i don't ever claim to be an expert in biotech these guys know what a p-value is in a phase two trial where that's a different language to me but i go to people that i've been around that have been good friends of mine and i ask them for their opinion also to help with biotech and if you don't have those resources a general etf works to give you broad exposure perfect and just in this general type of market, um, you know, where we're still in a longer term downtrend below or right at that 50 day moving average, which is declining and below a declining 200 day moving average. What are some key things that traders can do to, to manage risk and make sure, you know, they're not getting ahead of themselves and, and diving in too fast, too quickly? Yeah, lighter position sizes. I've been saying, uh, you know, my friend Tom Canfield, we talk about sit out power and it's hard. Uh, a lot of people struggle with that. If you are inclined to trade, Cut your position size. Uh, higher volatility. Remember when the market was pretty much straight up here? You know, maybe the S&P would move 20 to 30 basis points a day. VIX was low. Uh, we're above the key moving averages. Low volatility. All of a sudden, we go into correction. A lot of new tra traders have never seen 2 3 4% moves all over the place in the markets. Okay? So what is lowering your position size do it helps you from getting chopped up so instead of 100 shares go for 10 go for 15 go for 25 cut your position size because that can help you deal with higher volatility so i've mentioned four ways to at least increase your chances if you're inclined to trade in this environment number one try to find some of the stronger stocks there are stocks while the market is significantly off of their highs and a lot of the arc names are 60 to 90 percent off of their highs Put in the work, there are some stocks that are near new highs that at least you're giving yourself a shot that they've survived relative strength-wise. So far, they've survived this correction. Number two, use lighter positions to help minimize that volatility. Number three, get strong entry points. Do not chase extended stocks, especially in a difficult market. The market does not care about you and will punish you in a difficult market. In a stronger market, it forgives your mistakes. In a more difficult market, it is ruthless. So get strong entry points. And number four is you still got to cut losses and manage risk because just because you're using a light position and it's holding up well, it can still turn on you. So you still have to have a loss-cutting policy. But to directly answer that question of how traders can survive in this market, if you're inclined to trade, smaller position size. Perfect. I think that's key. And there's some great questions coming in. Uh, first, of, first of all, from here from... Wingnut586, uh, uh, question, do you plan every entry ahead of time and wait for your buy point 
or do you sometimes decide to buy a stock that was not on your buy list when you see favorable favorable action? Uh, both. <laughs> um, for the most part, though, when I screen, I have my watch list um, and I try to plan around my entry point. Um, and then there are some other ones that are on my watch list and I kind of, you know, go with the flow instincts. Maybe some unusual option activity comes in that'll help give me a little bit more confidence, conviction or encouragement to get in. But for the most part, but I'm not like winging it. It's usually it's screening, preparing something on my watch list and preparing my entry point around key moving averages, safer entry points around consolidations. Um, and then I might use some other factors to maybe get in, but for the most part, they're names that are already on my list. Perfect. And there's a question here about um, sell rules. So the question is from Rohit, uh, how do you nail down profits and look for selling points? And maybe you could answer this both in you know the frame of a strong uptrend, as well as in a period more like you know this, this choppy, more volatile uh, action that we're seeing currently. Yeah, I mean, a examples like I, I was telling people with XLE, it came out of a primary base here and then ran up and held its 21 day, had a normal visit to the 50 day. When it starts to get extended and starts to get vertically, vertically extended, look, this sounds so dumb, but you have two choices in the markets. You either sell into strength or you sell into weakness. Those are your two choices. When something's going straight up, you sell into it. Or when something's going down, you sell into weakness. So I prefer to sell into strength because at that time, that's when there's a lot of liquidity. And if someone says, well, what if it goes higher? What's the fear of missing out? If you bought this properly at 60 and it's closer to 90 and getting extended, what have you missed out on? Like, I'm not saying you have to take all your profits, but you can take partial profits when something's extended. And video is another one. Split adjusted went from whatever, four to 350. When it starts to get a little bit vertical, one of the sell rules from, from O'Neill is sell on the biggest update on a six to 12 day run. It's in chapter nine of how to make money in stocks, tons of sell rules. When something goes vertical, well, what if it goes higher? Stop whining, take some profits off the table when things go vertical. And I, I'll, I'll teach this lesson to people or, or, or mention this lesson, which is when I first started trading, I would cheerlead and say, go baby, go baby. When things were going up, I'd get all excited. Now I reduce my emotions and instead of getting excited, I say, this has gone a little bit vertical, take a little bit, if not the whole thing off the table. So one great sell rule is when things get extended. When you talk about this choppy market, you kind of have to, you know, just trade, you have to shorten your time frame in a choppy market. So that just, I mean, that opens up a whole can of worms. It just depends on your time frame, maybe to take smaller positions and shorter term profits. Perfect. Uh, I don't see too many more questions coming through, but Joe, I'd love to ask you, I, I've asked a few speakers today, uh, what's your overall favorite quotes related to trading or, uh, you know, I'm sure you've got some good ones related to just general life as well. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I mean, the best advice I could give anybody, if you said, hey, you know, someone asked me, what would you give advice you give your 20 year old self? I'm only 22, so I'm not that much older, but um, uh I would say protect your confidence, work on your mental strength. That's everything. That's everything. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is Jesse Livermore is, um, nothing changes in the markets. Human beings are the same. So the same, uh, let me get off the, the share here. The same fear and greed that existed 100 years ago exists today and will exist 100 years from now. So I'm paraphrasing, but 
he basically says nothing new happens in the markets. The dot coms of the late 90s were the railroad stocks of the late 20, 1920s. So stocks come and go, but one thing that's consistent is human emotion and the same fear and greed that existed will continue to exist. That kind of ties into that's why it's important to work on your emotions, work on your mental toughness. And if I would tell anyone, not just younger traders, newer traders, experienced traders, continue to work on your mental toughness and protect your confidence. Perfect. I think, uh, yeah, I think that's a decent place to end it. Joe, any kind of last minute advice? No more questions. Nice. No more questions. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> any other piece of advice that you want to share with everybody before we close it out the first day? No. I mean, one other question I was asked recently is when I've said just with recent markets of nothing sustained until the Fed is done with their uh, or pauses their rate hiking cycle. It's just a guesstimate. Maybe their upcoming meeting at the end of July or September at the latest, because I don't think they're going to want to look like they're messing or interfering with the midterm elections. So not only that, but I think they've also you got to remember they've come from zero to two, two and a half, maybe whatever they get to. That's a lot of interest rate hikes to that you need to let absorb into the system. So I I also know that statistically midterm election years bottom around August, September. So just stay positive. I know it's been a tough first half of the year. Protect your confidence. Keep your head up. Hopefully you've protected capital. Protect your confidence. But keep putting in the work. And I'm I'm confident that we're going to get a fourth quarter rally. I'm not just saying that happy-go-lucky. But you're starting to see some things form and a little bit of subtle signs of improvement. But my advice now would just still be patient, still be defensive. And if this rallies for real and if the market's going to bottom, there will be plenty of time to make money. Just be patient and let the market prove itself for stronger conditions to show up. Perfect. Well, Joe, thank you so much for your time and for your jokes as well. We always appreciate it. Uh, for everybody watching, I hope you enjoyed it as well. Make sure you leave a like on this stream if you are and subscribe to the TradeLine channel. We've got three more days as a part of this trading conference that we're really looking forward to. Got some excellent speakers and uh, I'll pop right back on in just a few seconds um, to give some basically closing remarks. So with that, uh, I'll see you in just a few seconds. Thank you.